Hi, everyone, and welcome to HR Works, brought to you by BLR. I'm your host, Steve Bruce. HR Works provides clear, relevant, actionable information on topics that matter to HR professionals. When you're armed with best practices and strategies to attract, retain, and engage top talent and deliver exceptional value to your organization, HR works. Retention. A major concern for most every organization these days. Changing employee demographics and expectations, evolving business needs, and rapidly advancing technology add complexity to the challenge. And for sure, as the unemployment rate drops, it's even tougher, tougher to keep your best talent. On the plus side, all this means that talent development professionals are sitting in a unique sweet spot for impacting the organization and its bottom line, says workforce thought leader Kara Saletto, today's guest. As president and chief retention officer of Crescendo Strategies, Kara works with companies across the country to reduce unnecessary employee turnover by bridging generational gaps and making managers more effective in their roles. Workforce Magazine named Kara a game changer, and Recruiter.com listed her in their Top 10 Company Culture Experts to Watch list. She's been quoted in Forbes, HuffPost, the Boston Globe, and many more publications. And listeners, this is one of our series of broadcasts recorded live at BLR's Workforce L&D Conference in Las Vegas, where Kara just presented a session on how L&D professionals can positively impact retention efforts and reduce turnover. Kara, welcome to HR Works. Thank you so much, Steve. I'm happy to be here. So why has retention come to the top of organizations' critical issues lists? Sure. So executives are starting to notice that employees are just not sticking around. They're not meeting the expectations that employees met for years and for decades. And so because these executives are starting to notice the turnover and, more importantly, the turnover costs associated with that revolving door, it is finally getting some traction in the discussion room in the uh, at the table with the executives, for example. So thanks. So I've heard it said that retention begins on day one. Uh, If you agree with that, what should organizations be doing as part of their new hire orientation to approve retention down the road? Make sure that your orientation includes a cultural aspect. Make sure that your staff know what kind of company you have and what not just the the written mission statement and vision, but really how do you expect business to be done? And not just the list of the core values, but how do you all live out those core values? What are some examples of the core values that you have in your company? Show some success stories of people who really um, exemplify that type of core value or that type of behavior that's expected and also making sure that they feel welcome on day one. We don't want anybody to park in the wrong spot, go in the wrong door, not know who to ask for, sit and have to write their name and address 19 times and then sit in front of boring e-learning. 
that is not a good day one. <laughs> so make sure they feel welcome. They know where to go. They know um, that they're in the right spot because there's a sign with their name on it. They have a little welcome basket waiting for them that they leave by the end of the day with some swag that has your logo on it. So they feel like, wow, I'm really a part of this company now. And this is so exciting. And so, yes, that day one and week one are absolutely critical to getting people really uh, involved in the organization and to start thinking, I made the right choice and this is where I want to be. Oh, that's great. That's very helpful. Now, how big a role does talent development play in improving retention? So years ago, companies made a critical error in cutting training and development. And what happened since then is over the past five, eight, ten plus years, we have promoted people into management positions without giving them the tools to be successful in that manager or supervisor role. So management effectiveness is the number one way to improve retention. Most people don't leave the company. They leave a boss that their boss doesn't appreciate them or doesn't communicate well with them. Uh, They don't have a good relationship or they don't mentor them. Many, many reasons that all tie back to that manager's effectiveness in their role. So talent development sits in a beautiful sweet spot of helping retention because we are the leaders of the management training and making sure that the onboarding goes well, as well as the managers are trained through leadership development initiatives to be able to communicate with their people and uh, be able to have a very strong relationship, to build trust with them and have that open dialogue in both directions. A lot of managers just don't even know how to have that kind of relationship with their staff. And it's going to take management training and talent development. I've had some managers like that. <laughs> not, not, no current ones. Uh, so, of course, retention isn't always desirable. If you're retaining your worst workers and losing your best ones, that's not good, even if your retention figures do look good. So do you advocate special development programs for top workers or high potential individuals? That is a great question. And all too often what I see is that if managers have what I would consider a more old school approach to things like recognition, Here's an example. If a manager believes that you shouldn't have to thank your people for showing up, you shouldn't have to thank them for doing their job, then if they just expect that the paycheck is going to do all the work, who's going to leave? your lower performers or your higher performers. It's going to be your higher performers because they don't feel valued, they don't feel recognized and appreciated for the good work they're doing. But if we switch that up and we start thanking the people who are showing up and doing a good job, and then the lower performers don't get that kind of recognition because they're not meeting the expectations, then you're very likely to see more of your lower performing workers walk out the door because they're frustrated. Well, they thanked so-and-so and and they didn't thank me. So I'm out of here. Good riddance to you. And that's Uh okay because we really do want to focus on our uh, performers. Now, with that said, I'm not a huge fan of the high performer type of development paths and 
special treatment for the higher performers because what we find today, especially with our millennial workers, is many of them, they don't plan to stay at organizations for very long. So yes, they will stay if you continue to advance them and advance them and advance them. And a a fast track is great at getting them to stay maybe to the two-year mark, maybe the three-year mark or four years if you really have several development levels available to them in that time. But honestly, they probably are never going to make it to middle management or certainly not director levels because they're going to get scooped up by somebody else. If they are an A player, you need to just expect them to bounce within a few years. Critical information to pay attention to that. So what about comp and benefits? Uh, I'm wondering about the role that it plays. And are there any particular perks or benefits uh, you recommend that have been uh, particularly important in helping improve retention? Sure. So a lot of companies, unfortunately, have not reset their tenure meter <laughs> since the new workforce came in, and they still have uh, they still have recognition or certain additional benefits or comp at, let's say, the five-year mark. That at five years, that's when you get an extra week of vacation, or that's when your 401k is fully vested, and things like that. And so, first of all, I want to just address that tenure for comp and benefits, because with our newer workers today, we see that most new workers do not hit the two-year mark for new hires because we just don't offer high enough uh, pay increases each year. There's LinkedIn poaching happening where people get stolen from us. Uh, There's lots of reasons we don't have pensions for the most part. And even if you have a pension, most people under 35 don't believe you. <laughs> so um, so really that has changed. And so if we know that most people are going to hit maybe the two-year, we're lucky to keep them three to four years, it's jackpot if they hit the five-year, we really need to bring back those comp and benefit milestones and markers back to the one-year mark, the two-year mark. Maybe the three-year is the jackpot kind of thing that really is a carrot that will keep people Because if you have new hires today who come in and you tell them, when you hit the five-year mark, that's when you get the jackpot or the bonus and things like that, they just roll their eyes and think, I'm not going to be here in five years. (laughs) I'll have three jobs and... 18 boyfriends between now and then, you know, (laughs) so whatever that, uh, you know, whatever the timeline is in their mind, we need to shift the the perks and the comp and benefits back to that. Now, speaking of perks in particular, it's not... It's not about money. Now, there certainly has to be a threshold of uh, certain pay rates that you've got to have in order to attract and retain talent. But really, what most millennials are looking for today and most new hires are looking for today is flexibility and a great culture, a positive culture to work in. And I can't say it enough, management effectiveness. (laughs) Do the managers treat them well and do they communicate? Are there opportunities for advancement across the organization? Those are the types of perks that people are really looking for. And a lot of the studies today will tell you that most new hires will take less money if they love their job and they love who they work for, if they've got those opportunities for advancement and education and, and things like that. So it's not as much about um, certain types of benefits and 401ks versus this or that. It's certainly not about ping pong tables. 
<laughs> so no. please don't focus on ping pong tables, but it really is the management effectiveness and, and the work-life integration of working there. Can I balance my life with this job and, and have the fulfillment in my whole life and career all in one bucket? And that's good for the employee, but it sounds also good for the company, I think. Mm-hmm. It cuts both ways. Hi, everyone. I'm Chris Soplensky, the producer of HR Works. We'll get you right back to the second half of Steve's interview with Kara Saletto from our Workforce L&D event in just a second. I just wanted to say a quick word about the 2018 Workforce L&D conference taking place November 15th and 16th at the Paris Hotel in Las Vegas. At Workforce L&D, you'll learn from the nation's top learning and employee engagement professionals how to build a superior professional development program that supports business growth and workforce retention. The agenda features insightful keynotes from coveted experts, substantive presentations, and interactive learning labs, guaranteeing you leave with real concrete takeaways to apply at your company. To reserve your seat today, visit store.blr.com workforce-ld. That's store.blr.com slash workforce dash LD. And HR Works listeners can get $50 off the conference price. Just type HR Works, all one word, in the discount code box when you register. Now back to Steve. So what is the relationship uh, between retention and engagement? How big an impact does engagement have? I'll tell you, uh, people ask me all the time to speak about employee engagement and ask me about the difference. But to me, from an employer standpoint, it's going to be the same initiatives. It, again, is going to be, does your manager have a great relationship with you? How much flexibility do you give those people? How much recognition do they get for a job well done? And so anything that is going to improve retention is often going to improve engagement and vice versa. So, yes, we want our people to be more engaged and more productive on the job. But we have found that all the studies about employee engagement align almost exactly with the studies on how to retain your staff. So same same efforts, same initiatives, same strategies. It's pretty simple. I mm-hmm. guess just have to recognize the realities of today and then follow some simple guidelines. What about stay interviews? Do you find those effective? I am a huge fan of stay interviews because I don't think enough organizations check in with their people. They just have the annual performance check-in, which is not enough feedback for today's new workforce. So whether you call it stay interviews or if it's 30, 60, 90-day check-ins or a half a year discussion or coaching, any of those kinds of things are great. If you don't do any of that stuff, then certainly introducing stay interviews is a great place to start. I would recommend for someone who's never done that to put those at the half year mark. If you are doing annual performance reviews, then just put it at the six month and the 18 month mark, maybe even add in a 60 or 90 day stay interview, particularly if you have a lot of frontline workers or lower wage workers where the volume of turnover is just really Mm. hitting you. So um, what you want to do is you want to check in with them and find out, do they have the resources they need? Have they been trained properly to do their job well? 
what is frustrating them that you might be able to resolve as their leader or as the organization. And that's really what you're trying to get at with the STAY interviews. Well, that's great. Thank you. And what about um, job satisfaction or in, or employee engagement surveys? Do you advocate their use? Are they helpful? Yes, yes, yes. Any way that you can get more data is absolutely critical. Please do not launch any initiatives based on a hunch, based on what you think people want. You really need to do the gap analysis through different types of surveys. And I, I'll warn you, it is more detrimental to the organization if you do a survey and then take no action. Hmm. Because that is like saying, we heard you. We just don't care. <laughs> so right. you really don't want to do that. Please don't do surveys and put them in a drawer or have one quick meeting and then forget about it. That should be uh, integrated into your KPIs or integrated into your leadership meetings of what are we addressing with the surveys. And oftentimes you can find some low-hanging fruit. As soon as those survey results come back, identify a few quick wins that you can say, oh, we didn't realize the staff wants that or needs that um, and that that would help people. So we'll go ahead and do that. Other things are going to be longer term initiatives that will take time and resources and you should communicate that. We are working on it. We are headed in that direction, but it's not going to happen overnight. And then there will be some things that you say we can't do that from a compliance standpoint or resources that that's just too costly for us to implement. But you also need to communicate that. Do a release of here are, and I like to use those three buckets. We we gathered your information. We appreciate your feedback. Here's what we're doing quickly. Here's what's next on our list and that is in the works. And these are the things that we're not going to address at this time. And here's why. And make sure that they feel heard and, and are a part of that decision-making process. That's very helpful. Now, uh, another thing here, you've talked about careful management of cultural transitions. And uh, you've said that can have an important impact. Could you explain that, please? Yeah. So as you shift your organization over time, you've got a lot of different mindsets. There is a spectrum of where people come from. So your upbringing might have been much more traditional and you might be on one end of the spectrum um, coming at things from the way things have always been done and the hierarchy mentality and things, which there's no right or wrong on the spectrum, but we have a lot of our workers that have that perspective of a more traditional mindset. Then you've got the other end of the spectrum that is our more millennial, more egalitarian mindset, which means we believe everyone is equal and brings value to the organization in their own way, and that we believe things should change more often and uh, more quickly. And so we have to be very careful of the cultural transition to respect both ends of the spectrum. And we can't just change overnight, so it's much more important to identify how do we implement more management training and how do we shift our culture over time without alienating one side or the other um, and make sure that you have buy-in with everybody. Why are we doing this? What is the backstory? Where are we headed? What is everybody's role in that transition look like? And so it isn't easy and it doesn't happen overnight. But at this point, unfortunately, I see too many companies that are behind the times. 
Our workforce has evolved tremendously over the last 30 years. And unfortunately, too many leadership teams and organizations haven't kept up with that transition. They've kept up with their customer base. They have said, oh, our customers have evolved and now we need to offer more features and benefits and services and products for them because their needs have changed. And they did their own research, right? They did their own surveys and and data gathering with their external customers. So I encourage companies to do some of that market research with their internal customers, which are their staff. And once you gather that data, prioritize what needs to change and what should change over the next year, two years, five years, and then make sure that you communicate throughout that whole process, uh, that will make that cultural transition much more smooth and effective. That's great. This is all um, great. Uh, To sum it up, any final recommendations for companies that want to improve retention? Please make sure that you understand the millennial mindset because the way that today's new workers were raised, that's not that's not why they are selfish. It's not why they are short-term thinkers. Those just are immaturity. Every generation thought about themselves before others. Every generation uh, cared more about short-term versus long-term. But what really makes millennials millennials can totally impact your leadership approach and your retention. Once you understand things like most millennials did not see loyalty growing up with divorce peaking in the 80s and and layoffs running rampant in the 90s most of us saw our parents split and we saw our um, parents get laid off during our childhood and then we get the bad rap of not having any loyalty and commitment to the organization when again pensions are gone uh, pay raises are much lower than they used to be and so the companies don't show that loyalty either and once you see both sides of those things that's when we can really come to reality and figure out what does tenure look like today? What does a healthy employer-employee relationship look like? How long should that last? And how do we make it as effective and productive and successful as long as possible working together? Kara, this is great. Very practical, very helpful um, insights. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you. Listeners, please let me know what HR work should cover next. Bruce at blr.com. Thanks for listening. This is Steve Bruce for HR Works. <laughs>